On behalf of Pastor Mark Driscoll, we want to thank you for allowing us to bring you Jesus-centered Bible teaching. Like Pastor Mark always says, it's all about Jesus. To get all of Pastor Mark's sermons, blogs, books, and other content, please visit us at markdriscoll.org. There you can also sign up to receive additional free content from Pastor Mark and support this ministry with a gift of any amount. Thank you. Well, you can take your seat. Here's what we count, dollars and days, amen? How many of you wish you had more dollars, more days? That bad news, you're only gonna get so many days and so many dollars. The average person lives about 27,000 days. Some of you bacon guys, maybe a little less, but the average person lives about 27,000 days and in the course of your life, the average person earns about $2 million. So on your schedule and in your account, will be 27,000 days and about $2 million. And what happens in life, it goes so fast that we don't have time to pull back and examine whether or not we're investing our life and our resources, our dollars and our days strategically and wisely. We get so busy in our life, we don't have time to look at our life or to work on our life, which is why I love this series that your pastor has you in. It's a stewardship series, and that is pulling back to look from God's word and God's perspective at your dollars and your days. And the truth is time goes fast and money goes fast, amen? It just does. When you're young, you're busy, you don't really think about your dollars and days. You graduate, all of a sudden you're into the workforce, you're off to college, things really accelerate. You're single, now you're trying to start your career, you fall in love, you get married, now you gotta buy a house and now you have kids and they're very expensive and life is very complicated and then you get a little bit older and your parents are struggling and hurting and all of a sudden maybe you've got some relational issues and the mortgage and the car breaks and the kids are more expensive, you fast forward, now you're elderly and your life seems to be largely in the rearview mirror and there's not as much distance in the windshield. And all of a sudden you realize, I may not have spent my dollars and days in the most strategic of ways. And a series like this is to pull back and to examine all of life so we can work on our life after examining what is our life and then going back to making decisions about our life. And when it comes to this issue, there really are three ways to see your life and your dollars and your days. I'll share them with you. And number one, what's mine is mine. You've heard this. How many of you are raising children? You didn't teach them this. They picked this up very naturally. This is the selfish nature of the human heart. Kids all the time, that's mine. That's mine. Even things that aren't theirs all of a sudden are theirs. It's, it's like your kids are learning from the government. They're just taking things that aren't theirs. And what happens in mine is mine, that leads to an attitude of selfishness. It's mine is mine. Um, Some of you may have seen this bumper sticker and if you have it, go out and take it off before you drive home. But there's a bumper sticker that some older people have. It says, we're spending our children's inheritance. It's another way of saying what's mine is mine. Now, Proverbs says that a wise person leaves an inheritance for their children's children. A wise person wants to take their dollars and their days and invest them in strategic ways so that it blesses two, three, four generations. You want that grace to flow into the future as long as you possibly can. 
I had a counseling meeting some years ago with a guy. He was married, had a good career. His wife had a good career. They decided that they would downsize to one career, start their family, have kids, and that she would stay home to look after the kids. As soon as she quit her job, he immediately became this very greedy, stingy, selfish man. He wouldn't give her any money for anything. So if she wanted to go out to coffee with a friend or buy a gift for someone, the answer was no. He was very selfish, very greedy, very stingy. And I'll never forget, he came in and we were having counseling appointments and I'm not making a lot of progress with this guy. And he finally disagrees with me and he pulls out one of his pay stubs and he says, whose name is on this pay stub? I said, well, yours is. And he said, and I quote, what's mine is mine. I said, look, buddy, you got two choices. You can give her some money for coffee or you could save it all up for the divorce attorney. But either way, <laughs> there's gonna be some withdrawals from your account. Right? What's mine is mine. He's like, no, the two become one. You're a husband and a wife. You do life together. And if God's grace flows to you and doesn't flow through you, then shame on you. The second perspective and attitude is what's yours is mine. This is an attitude of entitlement. Honestly, it is ruining, wrecking our whole culture. Um, this includes younger generations that tend to have a strong sense of entitlement. Some of you are older. You're part of what Tom Brokaw called the greatest generation. You made something called a sacrifice. You, you learned to go without. The generations that are born today, those that are younger, now that I'm gonna be 45 next month, I could talk about those young people. So you young people, I was talking to a college kid recently, they said, healthcare and education should be free. Like, somebody's gotta pick up the tab. I don't know if they taught you that in economics class, but things aren't free, <laughs> right? And, and, and their attitude was, I am owed healthcare. I am owed an education. I am owed a house. No, you're not owed anything. You're not owed anything. You have to provide for yourself. And the sense of entitlement, it even finds its way into the workplace. How many of you own a company or manage a company? True or false, the biggest problem with theft is not customer theft, but employee theft. It's not the customers that are walking in the front door, taking things and running out the front door. It's the employees who are walking out the back door. And that's an attitude of entitlement. Oh, what the company has should really be mine. What others have should really be mine. It leads to coveting, it leads to jealousy, it leads to thievery, that's what it does. And these are the natural mindsets. And what we want is a supernatural mindset. This is the way that the world thinks apart from God and we wanna now open the word of God and we wanna have the third perspective and this is the attitude of a steward and the perspective of a steward is this, what's mine is his. This is the one thing that changes everything. What's mine is his. We'll spend the rest of our time talking about this singular issue and all of its implications and applications. What's mine is his. And apart from the word of God and the spirit of God, we do not have the perspective of God. And this is how God sees our dollars in our days. That being said, this attitude leads to joyfulness, generosity, sharing, loving, giving. It allows us to stop loving money and using people and start loving people by using money. It allows us to have God's father heart 
so that we can open our hand to extend love, mercy, and grace. And so what I wanna share with you is four steward statements. Next time you sit in a chair, just think, boy, there are four legs holding this up, provide security and stability. These are the four steward statements that hold up a life that belongs to God and gives you a secure place from which to make your decisions. Point number one, I belong to Jesus Christ. Uh, the scripture I'll share with you today is one of the most important to me. It's Romans chapter one, verse six. It says, you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. Everything starts with who you belong to. So you say, I'm my own person. You're in grave danger. You're not a good Lord. You're not a good God. You're not a good savior. You're in grave danger. Some of you would say, well, I don't belong to anyone. Well, if you belong to Satan, that will not end well, I promise you. You want to belong to the Lord Jesus, the most loving, the most gracious, the most generous, the most benevolent, the most forgiving, the most long-suffering, the most enduring. And when it says you're called to belong to Jesus Christ, some of you are here today and you don't yet know Jesus Christ and he brought you here today to know that you are to belong to him and he wants to change your history and your destiny and your identity today. This verse changed my whole life. I grew up as a marginal Jack Catholic kid, okay? Uh, some Catholics love Jesus. Like my mom was a Catholic who loved Jesus. I was a Catholic who did not love Jesus. Some Catholics love Jesus, some don't. It wasn't anybody's fault but my own. I didn't really care. I didn't want anyone to tell me what to do. I just wanted to play baseball, drive my 1956 Chevy and be left alone. Pretty much that was my to-do list. Okay, and, and so I didn't have any interest in church or the things of God. I went off to college, first person in my family, first man in my family to go to college, and a gal, pastor's daughter, she, she bought me a Bible. Okay? And later we got married, and she's now my wife, we got five kids. So the moral story is, she buys you a Bible, buy her a ring. That's how that works. So she, <laughs> she bought me a Bible. And I remember as a freshman sitting in my dorm in State University, reading Romans 1, 6, and you are called to belong to Jesus Christ. And it's like the Holy Spirit flipped a switch in my soul. And all of a sudden, all of my understanding began a process of changing. Before it would have been, well, who do I wanna date? And who do I wanna marry? And what do I wanna study? And what career do I want? And what kind of lifestyle do I want? And all of a sudden I was like, no, I belong to Jesus. Jesus, uh, who do you want me to date? How do you want me to date him? Who do you want me to marry? What do you want me to study? What should be my career? And, and, and what, what future do you have for me? I was no longer my own, like Paul says, I was bought with a price. Okay, can you say earnestly, I belong to Jesus Christ. It's one thing to say, I believe in Jesus Christ. And that's what I want you to say. But it's another thing to say, I belong to Jesus Christ. The second steward statement, everything I have belongs to Jesus Christ. This is the issue of ownership and ownership precedes the issue of stewardship. Ownership is who do my dollar and days belong to? Is it me at the center of my life? These are my dollars, these are my days, so I make my decisions. Or is it Jesus at the center of my life? These are his dollars, these are his days. He's the one who decides for me. This is the issue that determines all of the other issues. 
This is the decision that makes all the other decisions. I'll share two verses. Uh, the first is from Haggai chapter two, verse eight. God said, the silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. In that day, your wealth was held in your silver and your gold. When God says the silver is mine and the gold is mine, it would be in our day saying the credit cards are mine, the real estate assets are mine, the equity is mine, the retirement account is mine, the cash is mine, the entire portfolio is mine. You and I all have a portfolio, God's got one portfolio, and we are all in that portfolio. It all belongs to God. It all comes from God. It all returns to God. It all belongs to God. It says it this way as well in Psalm chapter 50, verse 10. Every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. We're in West Texas. This will preach all day, amen? <laughs> I grew up in the city, not a lot of cattle. Driving in, cotton fields and cattle. Somebody say, no, that's my cattle. I branded it. Jesus said, actually, that's mine. Thanks for branding my cattle. Right? Everything belongs to the Lord. And in the agrarian society, it was your, your, your real estate and your livestock that, that really were your portfolio. The more you had, the more affluent you were. So when God says, silver's mine, gold is mine, land is mine, livestock is mine, it's all mine. It's all mine. Um, this is my wallet. Right, this is my debit card. It has my name on it, but if I wanna remind myself of what the Bible says, I should write Jesus Christ's name above mine. That on every account of someone who belongs to Jesus Christ, it's a joint account. That, that the, the cash is his and the credit is his. And so the decisions ultimately should include him. If you struggle with your spending, write Jesus' name on your card. And every time you go to make a purchase, double check with the person who ultimately is in control of the account and see if it's a good decision. Everything belongs to God. And what this does, this changes even how we view tithing. When I first became a Christian, I would sit in church and they'd pass the plate. And I thought, I'm happy to pass the plate, but you know, I would take money out, but I would not put money in. That is how I would view the offering. And, and I remember week after week, the plate going by and not me giving anything into it. And finally, I, I talked to I think it was the pastor, good godly guy. My first church, I was like, what's up with the offering? He's like, well, the Bible talks about a tithe and we're supposed to tithe to the Lord and we give our first fruits, which is our first and our best. And a tithe literally means what percent? 10. So people are like, oh, I tithe 5%. That's not a tithe. It's not, a, a tithe is 10%. It's a 10th of your first and best. We can't even do that anymore because the government beats God to it. They're so far up the waterfall. They're like, that's mine. God's like, so you gotta be real intentional to tithe to God because governments now put themselves ahead of God. Nonetheless, my, my frustration was, God, why should I give you 10% of my money? And now I read the Bible and my attitude would be, hey, Lord, thank you that I get to keep 90% of your money. You see that? You see the difference? If it's my money, you can't take my money. God's like, it's my money. 
Oh, you want your money back? Uh, just give me 10%. Well, that's a great deal. If we were gonna negotiate, I probably would have been happy with 50-50. Since it's your money, if I came up to you right now and I said, I have $1,000 and I handed it to you and I said, now hand me a percentage back. You're like, what do you want? A hundred. You'd be like, I'll take that deal all day. That's how God is. He's a loving father. He gives to us generously and he asks for the change back. I'll give you an example, an illustration. So we recently moved from uh, Seattle, Washington down to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. So as we made that journey, my boys are baseball players and we love watching baseball. We love to go to ball games. We'd never been to Dodger Stadium. So we stopped off in LA to go to a Dodger game. It was awesome, it was fun. And I'm sitting there with my boys and you know, they asked for money for something like go get one of the famous Dodger dogs or ice cream or something. Dad, can I have money? So I hand him money, my money. Go get what you want. Bring me the change. My boys go. It would have been weird if my boys came back. I said, hey, where's my change? They're like, I'm not giving you my money. Wait, 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 wait that, that was my money. I gave it to you. I told you to go get what you want and just bring me the change. I see tithing like that. God's a father, gives to us generously. Says, you know what? Take care of yourself, give generously, save, invest, spend, and bring me the change. I'll take 10% back. If God is the owner and we're the steward, then that changes how we view all our dollars and all our days. Statement number three, everything I have is a gift from God. First Corinthians 4, 7, what do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as though you did not? Everything we have is a gift. What this causes is an attitude of gratitude. If you realize I belong to Jesus Christ, everything belongs to Jesus Christ, everything I have is from Jesus Christ, right? James says, every good and perfect gift comes down from the Father above. So all of a sudden it's like, hey Lord, thanks for letting me drive your car. Hey Lord, thanks for letting me marry your daughter. Hey, thanks Lord for the roof over my head and the food in the fridge and the bed that I sleep on. Thank you, Lord. These are all yours and I feel very grateful that you would allow me to enjoy them. This is why we pray before meals. It's not just something that is you know, to sort of placate a, a religious tradition. It's a real heartfelt gratitude, Lord. This is your food at my table for me. Thank you. Thank you for providing for me. Thank you for providing for my family. Everything is a gift. And let me say this, God doesn't mind sometimes spoiling his children. He just doesn't want them to act spoiled. If all we have is a gift, some of you will struggle because maybe God has been very generous to you and you feel a little spoiled. You're like, oh, I can't receive that, Lord, that's too much. I hear this sometimes from parents, they'll say, well, I don't do that or I don't give that because I don't want my kids to be spoiled. I want my kids to be spoiled. I'll just go on record. And I've got five kids and if they all grow up like, we're kind of spoiled, I'd be like, you're welcome. I'm okay with that. My statement to my kids is, I want to spoil you, but I don't want you to act spoiled. You see the difference? You could take one kid, give them something, do something for them or with them, thank you, they're grateful, there's appreciation, there's, there's thankfulness. You do the same thing or give the same thing to another kid, there's this sense of entitlement and complaining and lack of appreciation. 
we're all God's sons and daughters and whatever he gives us, he wants us to be thankful with an attitude of gratitude. And sometimes when he spoils us, we shouldn't feel guilty about that and we shouldn't take credit for that. That's what he's saying to the Corinthians. We should just simply thank God for that, that we have been spoiled, but there's no need to respond by acting in a way that is spoiled. Give you one more verse. Deuteronomy 8, 17 and 18. You may say to yourself, hear the language here, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. This is a hardworking, self-made person. Some of you are like that. You're like, I work hard. I made my own way. I pay my own way. I take care of myself. I am all for a good work ethic. I come from a long line of red potato farmers, construction workers, and diesel mechanics. Working class Irish poor. Uh, we ended up in Seattle because there was construction work for my dad. And my dad was a drywaller, the guys who carry the sheetrock and hang the sheetrock. He literally hung drywall until he broke his back to feed five kids. My dad's a very hardworking man. There were times that he would sleep in his truck or he'd sleep on the sheetrock at the job site out of town to send the money home so that my mom, who stayed home with us five kids, could put a meal on the table. There's nothing wrong, and I am in no way discouraging working hard. But when we say, you know what? I, I'm smart, God would say, and I gave you that mind. I work hard and God would say, I gave you that ability and capacity. Well, I forged my own path and God would say, actually, I was out ahead of you clearing the brush. Well, I got that promotion and God would say, actually, I was a little involved in the hiring process. You're welcome, <laughs> right? That God is present, active in our life in very practical ways. And the steward, even when they don't see it, by faith they believe it, and they assume that the provision is not just in their hand, it's from his hand. So he says it this way. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, but here's what he says. Remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Even the production is the result of God's grace, okay? And on our money, it says, in God we trust. The truth is, it should say, in this we trust. A Christian says, no, it is God who provides, and my trust is in him, not what he's provided. And what he's provided is a gift, and it's not the doing of my own hands without the involvement of his hands. So Stuart says, I belong to Jesus, everything belongs to Jesus, everything I have is a gift from Jesus. And then this utterly transforms how we make our decisions regarding our dollars and our days. And this is the issue of stewardship. Point number four, a steward would say, I want to manage Jesus' resources wisely. If I belong to Jesus, everything belongs to Jesus, everything I have belongs to Jesus. Jesus, what do you want me to do with my dollars and my days? And so he says, each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful, there's our word, right? Stewards of God's grace in its various forms. What this means is that 
you are not in the owner of, you're not in the position rather of owner, you're in the position of manager. So let's say you take your money and you give it to an investment firm or a 401k retirement account, or you're in on a business deal, what you're doing is you're taking your resources and trusting them to a manager and you want the manager to make good decisions so you get a good return on investment. God is the owner, we are the manager. That's what stewardship means. So for your dollars and your days, what you're asking is, where are the strategic places that I can make investments of my dollars and days that are good kingdom return on investment because I'm the manager of what belongs to Jesus? This means we don't give our money to every cause. We strategically choose the places where we'll get the best return on investment. It means we don't invest in every person, that we're looking for people who are teachable and the best return on investment. Some people don't wanna learn and some people don't wanna steward their lives. Instead, what they wanna do, they want you to take responsibility for them and they will continually use you and they'll never learn and grow to become stewards. And part of helping people sometimes is not just carrying them, but instructing them and not just giving them possessions, but giving them wisdom so that it will change how they live their life and make their decisions. A steward is not one who just says, well, I'll give all my money and time away. A steward is one who says, I will strategically invest my dollars and days. And what happens then, a steward is anticipating, Lord God, this journey of life with you must include opportunities that you have for me to make strategic kingdom investments. So I'm not gonna spend all my money. I'm gonna save some and tie some, and I'm gonna invest some, and I'm gonna wait for opportunities so that I'm prepared for the opportunities that you provide for me to make a strategic investment. I'll give you some simple examples from my growing up. Like I said, we were a poor family, but we were a generous family. That was my family. Grew up in a neighborhood where the kids were poor, um, a lot of first-generation immigrants. I can still remember as a little kid, Every winter we'd get one coat, one winter coat, and we'd go get it at Sears Surplus because we couldn't afford to go to Sears. So we go to Sears Surplus where everything is on discount. And I remember us kids, we'd get our coat and my mom would buy whatever, whatever money she had say, set aside and saved, she'd buy additional extra coats. And I remember asking her, mom, why are we buying extra coats? She said, Marky, my mom and dad still call me Marky. You can be 45 and your parents still call you Marky. Marky. You know, there's a lot of kids in our neighborhood, they, uh, they go to school in the rain in a t-shirt or a sweatshirt and they're soaking wet all day, they don't have a coat. And when it gets cold, those kids are freezing. She said, so when those kids come over to play, we're gonna have coats in the closet and we'll honor them, give them a new coat. That's a steward mindset. You don't have to be rich to be a steward. Jesus' parents were poor and they were holy. And I saw it when kids would come over and they'd literally be soaking wet, come over to hang out at our house, oftentimes because the parents weren't home at their house and my mom was there to look after kids. She sort of set up our house like the community center where the kids could drop by and get a bite to eat. And as they would go to leave, she'd say, oh, wait, I got something for you. And she'd put a coat on them. A steward looks for opportunities and those are opportunities for ministries. My dad ended up coaching my baseball team growing up. My dad didn't know anything about baseball. But in our neighborhood, he was one of the only dads. There were hardly any dads. It was all 
single parent homes, kids with no dad, great poverty, we're next to the airport, strip clubs, gangs, serial killers, it was a rough area. And so when I decided I was gonna play baseball as a kid, there was no coach for the team, so my dad's like, well, I'll coach because he was one of the only dads. And I remember showing up to one of the first practices and the kids all show up, and a lot of the kids had no baseball glove and no cleats. They just show up in tennis shoes with no glove, no bat, to play baseball. So again, we were poor, so my dad started going to the Goodwills and the Salvation Armies and the St. Vincent de Paul's, and he would collect baseball gloves and cleats and bats, and he had a big you know, basket of them in the garage. And I remember he was just driving around buying all this stuff at discounted prices, because we were poor. I said, Dad, what are you doing? He said, well, you know, those kids, they show up, they got no glove, they got no cleats, they got no bat. They can't play ball, their, parent, their mom can't afford it, and it's kind of embarrassing, so we need to have this ready to give to them. A steward knows there are opportunities that God is going to bring, and I need to prepare myself to meet those needs. And some of the time, the way we love people is by giving to them. This is the attitude of gratitude. This is what the steward has as their mindset. I belong to Jesus. Everything belongs to Jesus. Everything I have is a gift. Lord Jesus, you've got opportunities for me to do ministry with the stuff you've given me. I'm excited to go find those opportunities. I'm not gonna waste everything you've entrusted to me. I'm going to set aside some of what you've given to me so that I can give it to others. And here's why. Because God wants you to share in his joy. God wants you to share in his joy. I'll give you a verse. It says in Acts and it quotes the Lord Jesus and you've heard it most likely. It is more blessed to give than receive. True or false parents and grandparents, last Christmas, the best part was not opening your gift but watching a kid open the gift that you gave them. Amen, amen. And so God's heart is a father heart and the God of the Bible, he's a giver, not a taker. And, and God loves to give and God gives generously and God gives gladly and God invites us to give, not to take from us, but to invite us to share in his joy. Because the God of the Bible, he is, he is a giver, not a taker. And what the God of the Bible does, he takes our worst and he gives us his best. The whole Bible is ultimately about Jesus and all the themes and threads, they ultimately point to Jesus. And the Bible is a book that is for us, but it's not about us. It's a book about Jesus. So let me talk a little bit about the issue of stewardship and the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Bible teaches us that God takes our worst and gives us his best, which is unique. In other religions, God is a taker, not a giver. Well, you sinned, you gotta pay God back. You need to reincarnate and pay off your karmic debt to God or go to purgatory and pay your debt to God. In Christianity, we don't pay, Jesus pays. And God takes our worst and gives his best. And I'll give you one simple verse that many of you have probably seen at the tech game last night. It was probably on a placard in the end zone right before the tragic ending where everyone just got depressed and I apologize. <laughs> but here's the great end zone verse, John 3:16. God so loved the world that he, loving, happens by giving. Loving happens by giving. 
We know that God loved us because he gave Jesus to us. That's amazing. God's a giver, not a taker. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. This is his first fruits, his first and best. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I have good news for you. Somebody came here today like, oh, we're talking about money in church. I hate it when they talk about money in church. What do you want me to give? Give your worst. Give your worst. Give your sin and Jesus will give you forgiveness. Give your death and Jesus will give you life. Give your condemnation. Jesus will give you salvation. Give your brokenness and Jesus will give you healing. Give your separation from God and God through Jesus Christ will give you reconciliation with God. Christianity is about giving and taking. It's about giving our worst and getting God's best. And the way this works is that you and I have sinned against a good, holy, and righteous God. And in so doing, we have accrued a debt to God. When Jesus taught us to pay, uh, to, to pray rather, he said, forgive us our sins. And in another occasion, he says, forgive us our debts. And the Bible uses sin and debt synonymously. See, every month, you and I, we, we get an accounting of our debt, our bills come. Imagine if every month God sent you his bill. Here's all of your thoughts, your words, your deeds, your sins of omission, commission, failures, disappointments, selfishness, rebellion. You and I would be haunted by the mounting debt and we could never repay our debt to God because even if we lived a perfect life starting today, we still have our debt from yesterday. And no one can repay this spiritual debt to God. So God becomes a man and he enters human history as the God man, Jesus Christ. And he lives a perfect life of a perfect steward. He only does what he's supposed to do. He only says what he's supposed to say. Jesus never sinned in any way. He was a perfect steward. True or false, Jesus worked a job. He did first 30 years of his life, carpenter with his dad. True or false, Jesus paid his bills. Paid his bills. True or false, Jesus paid his tithe. Paid his tithe. True or false, they taxed Jesus. This tells you a lot. Hey, God's here, how much can we tax him? That's, that's how this world works. We tax God, but did he pay his taxes? Yes, he did. And then he went to the cross and he substituted himself for us and he paid our debt through his death because the wage or debt or sin is death. And Jesus pays our debt, paid in full. Everything you've ever done, paid for. Everything you'll ever do, paid for. What this means is then when God invites us to be a steward, it's not so that he'll be pleased with us, but because he already is in Christ. Not so that God would love us, but because he already does in Christ. Not so that God would accept us, but because he already has in Christ. Being a steward is not something we have to do. It's something we get to do. We get to be treated this way by God through Christ, so we wanna treat others the way we have been treated by God through Christ. Stewardship's not about your money, it's about your soul and the inclinations and dispositions and aspirations of your heart and where your treasure is, your heart is. If you wanna know who or what you ultimately love, follow the money. Follow the money. Now, 
I'm going to close with a little bit of a story. Some of this can get very complicated, and I want to simplify it as much as I'm able. The Bible says that we should have a childlike faith, not a childish faith. A childish faith is immature. A childlike faith is simple. God's a good dad. It all belongs to him, and I want to be a good steward for dad. Okay. Tell you about my son Gideon. When I think of stewardship, I've learned a lot from this little guy. If they'll put up a picture of him, he, that's him. Um, we've got five kids. He's the fifth. Three boys, two girls. He's the youngest. My son Gideon has this spiritual gift of stewardship and giving. I've seen it from a very young age. Um, this last year, we had a very difficult year and walked away from a ministry position and we couldn't attend church for about a year. Pickets, protests, death threats, police escort, craziness, media at the house, it was very difficult. So we worshiped together at home as a family on Sunday. And the first Sunday I'm teaching and the, one of the kids is leading worship, another kid's setting up communion and another kid's reading scripture, another kid's organizing prayer. Gideon comes down with a basket to collect the offering. <laughs> right? We're like, what are you doing, little buddy? He's like, I'm collecting everything. It's just our family. He said, I know some single moms that can't afford Christmas presents for their kids. And this is like in October. He said, so every week I'm gonna collect an offering and save the money and then I'm gonna give it to the single moms to make sure that their kids get Christmas presents. Oh, my little buddy here, he's trying to figure out how to set money aside because he knows that the Lord Jesus will provide an opportunity and some of the ways that we do our loving is through our giving. It's like, that's amazing. And he saved up a lot of money and that's exactly what he did with it. He recently, with our relocation, had to go to a new school. Uh, it was around the first day of school. I saw him put a $20 bill in his pocket. I said, what you doing, little buddy? He said, uh, walking around money. You know, because <laughs> the guy needs walking around money, right? <laughs> and I was like, what are you gonna do? With it? He's like, I, I, I'm gonna need it, I got a plan. Okay, I didn't know what the plan was. So, you know, a little while later, we talked with his new teacher. Hey, how's Giddy doing? He's doing great. We love him. Oh, he's such a nice kid. The other day, one of the kids forgot their lunch, and they said something, and Giddy blurted out, I keep $20 in my desk to buy lunch for kids who forget their lunch. I'll pick up the tab. Really? That's why Gideon took 20 bucks to school? Right? A steward knows I belong to Jesus, everything belongs to Jesus, everything I have is a gift from Jesus and Jesus has got opportunities for me to share and if I do, I share in his joy. So this is one of the happiest days of his life. So this is his ninth birthday, right? And so for his birthday, we took him and five of his buddies to a place called Great Wolf. Have you heard of Great Wolf? You've been there? It's an indoor arcade and water slide park. It is amazing, little kids love it. If your kids don't understand the concept of heaven and you're trying to lead them to Christ, you know, give your life to Jesus and when you die, you go to heaven. They're like, I don't understand. Just say, give your life to Jesus. When you die, you'll go to Great Wolf, okay? And then they'll be, they'll come forward for the altar call then. They'll be all in, okay? Eternity in Great Wolf, I'm all in. So the way the arcade works at Great Wolf, you know, you swipe your card and then you play your game and if you win, what comes out? All the, all the parents, tickets. And what do you do with the tickets? You get candy and prizes. It's very exciting. So there's this one game, it's like a big wheel that you spin, kind of like Wheel of Fortune. And Giddy's playing it, playing it, playing it, you know, pulling the lever, and then it goes around and around and around, hits a thousand tickets. Thousand, it's his ninth birthday. He's so excited, he's 
shaking. It's like the best day of his life. <laughs> Thousand tickets. And now the tickets are rolling out, right? It's like, it's like a slot machine in Vegas. The, the alarm, woo, woo, and the alarm's going off and all the other kids are walking over like, that's amazing. And out come all the tickets. And he's so excited. He's jump up and down. I'm filming the thing. I thought it was so great for his ninth birthday. And then his sister is a couple years older. She notices that if you hit a thousand tickets, you get a free spin. But the clock is ticking and we didn't know this. He didn't know this. So the time's almost gone. So just with a few seconds left in the clock, he grabs the lever, spins it, flips around, 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 around. A thousand tickets. A thousand tickets. Okay? And now what that means is you get 6,000 tickets. And the tickets are just flowing out like manna from heaven, just <laughs> flowing forth freely. And so what that, what that is, those are two garbage bags filled with tickets on his ninth birthday. So I, I, I'm so excited. I mean, I'm at least as excited as Gideon. And, uh, and I'm like, oh my gosh, little buddy, you wanted 6,000 tickets. What are you gonna do with them? And here's what he says. I'm just gonna be, it's a big smile. He says, well, there's me and my five friends. There's a thousand tickets for each of us. Okay. I was like, you're right, little buddy. There's enough tickets for you to enjoy and for all your friends to enjoy. That's the heart of a steward. He gave the tickets to his buddies and everybody got the same number of tickets. And I tucked them in that night, prayed for him, kissed him. Happy birthday, little buddy. What was the highlight of your day? He said, I loved having a thousand tickets and I loved giving a thousand tickets to my friends. And I think it was even more fun to see them get their prizes than it was to get my own prize. A childlike faith shares the Father's heart. Father, thank you for an opportunity to preach today here at Trinity Church. Thank you for Pastor Carl and his willingness to let me come and open the scriptures. God, if there be any here that don't know the Lord Jesus, I pray that they would give him their worst and they would receive God's best. Lord, I pray that we would leave here uh, knowing that we belong to you and everything we have belongs to you and everything we have is a gift from you and you've provided opportunities for us to be good stewards. It's not something that we have to do. It's something that we get to do. Please give us, Father, your heart and a childlike faith that says, mm, this is the way to live. The Father is good and he gives to me and he gives through me. And as I enjoy what he gives me, I'm grateful to him. And as I share what he's entrusted to me, I share in his joy. Lord, thank you for being a, 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 a giver, not a taker. Thank you for being a generous and good and loving Father. And thank you for transforming us through the renewing of your mind, our minds rather, through your word, so we might think like you think and take our dollars and days and invest them strategically and wisely for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. Amen.